0: Hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible. I'm Evan. And I'm Aaron. And this is a podcast where we read the Bible together every year and talk about what we learned along the way. If you would like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and look up the Grove Church in Marysville, Washington, and you can find our plan right there. Uh, we also have the plan available on our website, grove.church. And if you're jumping in with us for the first time, we are on day eight.
1: Yes. And so we welcome you to listen along for this week's readings. Uh, We're going to break it down as best we can. Uh, But we also like to try and take time at the end of every podcast and answer questions you, our listeners, may have. Uh, So we just encourage you to send those questions to us in three ways, one of three ways. You don't have to send them all in in all three ways, just one of the next three ways. One is an email. The email address to send it to is info at grove.church. Uh, or you can direct message us on social media. We have two platforms available for direct messaging. One is Facebook. We are the Grove Church in Washington State, as Evan already said. Or you can uh, send us a direct message on Instagram. Our handle is thegrovech, uh, and so you can DM us there as well.
0: All right. Well, this week we are going to pick up with Isaac. And I guess it's you know how there's always that stereotype of the middle child gets forgotten. <laughs> yep, I feel like when, much. when, yeah, when God is like, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we always forget about Isaac. All, all we remember, it's, true. it's like, Hey, all we remember is that he, uh, he almost got sacrificed yep. and then he got fooled. Yep. And those are kind of the two big things from Isaac's life. But let's talk about him this week. We're actually going to talk about Isaac and Jacob cool. and a little bit of Joseph. Yep. We're going to get into we're early. Starting
1: in Joseph's life too.
0: Oh man. We got, and then we're, I think we're going to wrap up Genesis next week. And I think we start. Job. After that, Which we might. Is,
1: here's the here's the thing. I, I think is saying even as I've been reading through it this this year so far as well, um, stick with it. It it it's jumping a little bit all over the place is what it feels like. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a purpose to it. I was even reminded of it um, when I was reading. I think this last week, and it jumped into uh, First Chronicles. And I was like, "Why is it doing this?" But it it's giving you context, and it goes back. I think it even went back in Genesis. Part of the reading it goes backwards, uh, and then highlights a, a section of time where I think it was actually Abraham and Sarah had died or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but just stick with it. It's 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 again. Remember the the purpose of the plan is chronological. We're reading it as the events take place from the start of of creation and the humanity this historical humanity up to, uh, the end of this, of the Bible as we have it. So, uh, just stick with it and and endure that part. It's going to be a little bit different rhythm than we normally do in a podcast or the Bible reading plans with our podcast. but I encourage you it's, it's, it's going to be more profound and, and fun because it's something a little different this year.
0: Yeah, I think it's going to give us a brand new perspective on so much of the Bible, actually reading the events as they take place. Especially once we get into the historical books and yeah. you're mixing in all of the prophets oh, dude, in and yeah. out, I think that'll be really cool. Yeah. It's all just
1: right. going to be, if you're anybody if you're anybody like me who likes to usually likes to read, let me just sit down, crank through a few chapters, not flip through my Bible a lot. Uh, it's not going to be that plan. If you're going to flip around a lot. You're right. going to go to different books. And that's okay. Uh, if you don't want to use the hard Bible, use the ver- you version. It's all right there in order. Uh, but stick to the order uh, because it's intentional and purposeful. Because I had the temptation to read chapter 30, whatever chapter I read, then I was supposed to read, go backwards and then go back to the next chapter that I read previously. Read it as it tells you to read it uh, because there's a reason and a rhythm and a rhyme to it. Absolutely. Anyways.
0: Well, this week we pick up with Abraham's son. After we already mentioned, that's Isaac. Um, I thought this was interesting. This is kind of just a, a, it's a going theme with this family, but like much like her mother-in-law, we are told that Rebecca, uh, who is Isaac's wife, is barren. Uh, however, Isaac prays and Yahweh grants his prayer. So just like all of the women, Rebecca starts off barren, but then God kind of opens her womb through that as well. Um, I was talking about like, I was wondering why this is such a theme. And then it kind of occurred to me. Um, I think there's a, there, in Judges, for instance, most all, I, should, I Yeah, almost all of the stories of the judges are told in such a way that it's very clear that no one other than God won that victory. Like the Gideon one, it's, yeah, not, it's not the, you know, Leonidas, Spartans, and I guess they lose, but you know, it's not the story of like 300 men holding out against whatever it is. It's, it's <laughs> this like, is Sparta. Like literally like the Midianites like get confused and start killing themselves. And then the Israelites run in after them and like, hey, this is awesome. <laughs> and so I think that's actually what hap- what's happening here is God is making it clear that he is creating this nation. This is not Abraham and Sarah. This is not Isaac and Rebecca. This is not eventually uh, Jacob and and his wives as well. Um, this is God through miraculous means creating the nation mm. of Israel. So I don't know if I ever thought about that before. That's yeah, really this it, is kind of it was a thought. Yeah. Um, And then God tells Rebecca that she will have twins and that they will both be great nations. And that interestingly, the older shall serve the younger. That's not right. Yeah. That's especially back then. (laughs) That was very much uh, the older was the one who got all of the privileges. And so – and I guess today that's still true to a certain extent, but definitely not the – Yeah, not to the extent in ancient times for sure. Right. That one is just kind of – you know, it's like even like in medieval times, there's always the joke about like you have the first and second sons of the nobles who get the stuff and the third ones, they go off and they have to go kind of make a way for themselves in the world. Yeah. That's what happened in Frozen. That's – Frozen? That's what happened with uh, – He was like the eighth child. Alexander Hamilton's dad was like the sixth or seventh son huh. of a Lord. And, and look so, at Alexander Hamilton. Yeah, man. look how he turned out. So that was a out. great singer. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> One of the great musicians of our time. Uh, anyway, so things start out pretty interesting. So this is in Genesis 25. We're going to go to the birth of Jacob and Esau. Spoilers, that's who they are. What? Uh, when her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. Wow, oh, it's just like God said, crazy. Uh, the first came out Red. All of his body like a hairy cloak, and so they saw. They named him Esau. Uh, which fun fact? I was r- w- listening to someone kind of talking about the translation of that word. The actual—I or I shouldn't say the actual, but the way that he thinks it's best translated is literally "big red," which I thought was yeah, kind of, which I thought was kind of interesting because usually it said "hairy." Um, but I was like, that's kind of that's kind of hilarious that they just came out was like ah, big red. That's yeah. that's my boy. Well, I mean, that's how they that's how they named
1: kids then. Is what was the distinguishing mark? I mean, we'll get to this even in Joseph, but like with Zara and Perez, they were named based upon their association of when they're, they were born. Yeah, that's true. So that I mean that there is a. It, it sounds like the names are like significant things we don't really use today. Like I don't know if anybody named Esau, um, but the names back then were used to identify and associate with their birth. What a, a marker and identifier. So yep. big red. Yes, i That's only. I've only heard it translated was big red no, oh really? not
0: Harry there you go well afterward his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel so he's his name was called Jacob uh, what's Jacob the best one there is trickster or mm-hmm. deceiver yep um, I like trickster but, but anyway uh, Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. We don't know how old Rebecca is, so... I mean, I guess we could do the math, but it doesn't tell us right there. Now we're good. Uh, When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man, dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebecca loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, "Let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted." Therefore, his name was his. His name was called Edom. Jacob said, "Sell me your birthright birthright now." Esau said, "I am about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me?" Jacob said, "Swear to me now." So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread. Until and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Then es- thus Esau despised his birthright. So Esau, <laughs> not the brightest, no. is, is kind of the way that. Well, we and I'm sure him. he probably thought it's not that big of a deal. Like
1: whatever, like this is a stupid negotiation. Just give me the stew, fine, take my birthright. Um, but the reality is, he, he absolutely even the last line there. He despised his
0: birthright. That's a big deal. I also just love the line of "I'm about to die." Yep. <laughs> what is? I don't think. I mean, maybe he actually was starving, but that seems like a bit of a stretch. It seems like he was just really, really hungry there. So hungry
1: and hangry. That's and probably what it was. Hangry.
0: Come on, Esau should, Esau should have had a Snickers. That's for come sure. on, bro. All right, we're gonna go uh, not rapid fire, but we're gonna go kind of really fast through these next few sections here, uh, and we'll talk about a little bit of what we can what we can learn about it. So after this, there's a famine in the land, and Isaac settles in the land of Gerar. I don't know how to pronounce Garer. That. Garer Garer. Uh temporarily while there the people ask about Rebecca. Uh so here's the thing Aaron the people in the town particularly the king uh they're wondering hey who's this Rebecca person? How do you think Isaac describes his relationship with his wife, Rebecca? He repeats what he learned. Oh my gosh. It just, he's like, oh yeah, that's my sister. That's my sister, Rebecca. Sounds it's like, like I've
1: read that somewhere before.
0: It's like a, f- a generational sin with this freaking family. It's insane. Like Abraham does it twice and then Isaac's like, well, that worked out so well for Pops. I might as well.
1: Well, the second time did, remember? Oh, I guess that's he was, true. He was given land. He was given grace. The first time he was kicked out of Egypt. Just
0: absolutely ridiculous. Come on. Like here, and here's the listeners. This is a spoiler for later in the podcast. My practical application this week is don't describe your wife as your sister. So I'm just kidding. Although I guess that is good advice if you struggle with that. Don't do that. You know, come on. Like the Lord, Lord forgives. Oh, go taco. Oh man. Anyway. So don't worry. Uh, The King finds out his name is Abimelech. He finds out pretty quick uh, and he reprimands Isaac. So rightfully so. He's like, dude, come on. What are you doing? Like you're just going to make us all sin if we're going after your wife like this. Uh, Isaac eventually becomes wealthy and Abimelech tells him to depart because he has grown more powerful than him. Which, uh, you know, Aaron, I think that uh, that comes up later in the Bible. A king. Maybe. Being a little weary of uh, the people of Israel growing powerful. But, uh, hmm. I guess that won't be for a little bit. Uh, this begins a period of time when Isaac and his family are moving from place to place and the people around resent them. So basically what happens, it, it, we're, I'm kind of going fast through this section, but they'll camp out in a spot and the people there get really mad. He'll end up digging some wells and like, hey, that's our well and like all this different stuff. So Isaac's kind of wandering around. Um, eventually, Yahweh reminds Isaac of the covenant that he made with Abraham. And Isaac loses his fear and settles more permanently. Uh, And then he also, at this moment, he makes peace with Abimelech as well. So cool beans there. Uh, After this, we jump forward a pretty good amount of time. So we're told that Esau marries. uh, And apparently Isaac and Rebecca don't approve of the match. Uh, We're not told much about her other than she is a Hittite. And that she brings much bitterness (laughs) to Isaac and Rebecca is kind of the line that we're given. So,
1: Well, let me back up real
0: quick. Just because I
1: remember as I was reading this, I forgot to look it up. Um if you remember everything that happened with Abraham and Sarah happened with the king of Abimelech. Oh right. Know, I don't know if you remember that, right? And so then Isaac and Rebekah happens with the king of Abimelech. Same situation, same scenario. Mm-hmm. And and I I forgot I was when I was reading this like I need to look that up because is that the same king? It's it's about 75 year difference um between Abraham and Isaac in their situations. Um, but apparently, and this is, I just had to confirm and read or look it up while Evan was talking. So, but Abimelech, if you're anything like me, it's like that's confusing to me and I don't want to pass it. Abimelech, it's a very f- common name back then. Right. So, it's most likely not the same person, but a name that's used, maybe even the line of Abimelech, the king or whatever, maybe has some similarity there, a royalty name
0: or whatever, but it's not the same person. Yeah. When I was reading, it was saying probably his grandson yeah. is who that is. So, um, but it's, it's kind of like it's if, interesting, it's, like it's, for sure. It's kind of like if someone says, like, who was the king of France during this? time. If you say Louis, you have like a 50% chance of being right. So it's it's kind of one of those things. Anyways, just Uh, if you were like me reading it, it it's like, wait, wait a minute. So Abimelech is the Louis of the ancient Near East. Tweet that. Anyway. uh, So yeah, Esau's married. uh, They don't approve of the match. uh, And then Isaac is getting older and he's he's grown blind at this point. And so he tells Esau to go out and hunt so that he can have his favorite meal one last time before he dies. Um, which I know is also pretty interesting because Isaac does not die after I I remember in kids church, it very much is told in the sense of, yeah. And then Isaac probably died right after that. But when you read it, he actually lives for a long time and maybe it wasn't explicitly ever said that he died right after that. It was just kind of, I interpreted as a kid because it's never told like later on, but I think when Jacob comes back, Isaac is still alive. Um, but Rebecca has died. Don't quote me on that listeners. I should know that. I just tweeted it. Oh, my gosh. No, I think he doesn't die right away, but I know he dies shortly after. Yeah. Ah, uh, so Esau does so, but then Jacob lives up to his name. Ah uh, so Jacob, and this is with the help of Rebecca as well. Ah, uh, Jacob goes out and he slaughters some he slaughters some lambs or not lambs goats. He puts the fur on him. So apparently Esau is insanely hairy if that's able to trick Isaac. Yeah, right., uh, he puts it on and then he tricks his father into giving him the blessing of the firstborn. Uh, Esau is pretty angry. I mean, rightfully so. Uh, and so he vows to kill Jacob. That one's maybe a little bit of an overreaction, but you know, honestly, at this point, I'm kind of like, you know, Jacob's kind of the worst at at this point. Jacob's just getting what was due to him. Yeah. Esau gave up the birthright. There you go. Uh, and so Jacob flees to the home of his uncle Laban, who is Rebecca's brother, And so while he's traveling there, he gets the famous dream of a ladder stretching all the way to heaven. And at the top, he sees Yahweh, who again, renews his covenant, stating that he is the God of Abraham and Isaac. And then soon that will be, uh, he'll be known as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then it, it stops there. So, you know, who cares about Joseph? I don't know, that's the end. Uh, in chapter 29, we get a fairly uncomfortable story of Jacob falling in love with Laban's daughter, Rachel. That's not the uncomfortable part, like, that's kind of nice. And, yeah. you know, the cousin thing, it is what it is, but, like, you know, back then, that's just kind of the way it was. And then I forgot what Well, you're like. establishing people, right? you are I mean, it's part of God establishing people of himself. So. Yeah. So it's, it's a whole thing. Uh, so he falls in love with her. There's a famous story where like he, you know, he takes off the stone of a well all by himself, which you don't really think of anything of it when you read it in the Bible until you realize like how heavy those actually were. And it was always like a team. So you kind of get this picture of like he's trying to show off. And he's like, oh, yeah, I can, I can do this on my own. Don't worry. I don't know why that's my Jacob voice. Uh, and so he wants to marry her and Laban's like, well, what, like basically what will you pay for a dowry? And he's like, I will work seven years for you for free in order to marry uh, Rachel. And so Laban's like, sick, let's do it. Done. Uh, But then Laban really Jacobs, Jacob, and uh, on his wedding night, uh, he tricks her, tricks him into marrying Leah instead. So he wakes up in the morning, he looks over and he's like, wait a second, this isn't Rachel. And that is why you shouldn't get super plastered at your wedding. So come on, Jacob. (laughs) There's your application. You know, this all could have been avoided if you just were seeing straight. Uh, so that happens. And then Laban's like, oh, man, Jacob, I, I thought you knew. Like, I can't marry the younger daughter before the older daughter. We've got a real taming of the shrew situation happening here. Uh, and so Laban is like, but hey, you know, if you want to marry Rachel, I mean, that's fine. You know, just if you want to work like another seven years and do that. Um, Which speaking of things I learned in Sunday school, the way that was taught to me was always that Jacob worked another seven years and then he married Rachel, but he actually marries Rachel right away. And so at least Laban's not like that big of a jerk. Can you imagine? Yeah. So he marries Rachel right after he marries Leah and then works another seven years. So at least, you know, at least that part is, at least that part is done. So Laban's not all the way bad. Uh, But yeah, that's what happens there. Uh, And then we'll, we'll get into this a bunch, but Jacob really treats Leah very poorly yeah um and I uh, in the one sense I kind of get it because that's a really hard way to start a marriage <laughs> it's like you know what I mean like that that's that's rough um but by the same token like it is pretty it is pretty sad the way that for sure uh, for most of Leah's life, She is very clearly the unfavored wife and is very hyper aware of the fact that she is not loved by her husband Um, at the end. And we talked about, I would actually recommend we have a podcast. I think it was two seasons ago that we did um, Leah, a character study episode, but we actually got pretty good reviews. People seem to like that one. And there's, it's really interesting when Leah or when Jacob dies he is buried with Leah, not with Rachel, which is one of the kind of the, it was a really interesting end to their story, but that's getting pretty far ahead of ourselves here. Let's get back to. Yeah, they're just getting married, bro. Why yeah. are you talking about their death? I was, I said, I'm I'm I, I said, let's get back to the, I was about to say, let's get back to the present day of the resident. We're way back in ancient history here, but anywho, uh, like Sarah and Rebecca before her, Rachel is barren. However, Yahweh sees the way that Jacob treats Leah and he chooses her to bear the first of the sons. And so she gives birth to Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. Um, This is where we get into some real family dysfunction. Uh, And also I think... So true. Yeah, I've made this statement a bunch last year, but I think it's important to keep repeating. I think sometimes we think of, particularly in Genesis, but in the Old Testament, that yeah, God calls Abraham and all of a sudden Abraham is basically just like the Jews of Jesus's day when that is not true. Like the story of the old Testament is God taking, um, basically barbarians and making them into his people. And so they do crazy things. They do barbaric things from time to time. Like the, some of the stuff that David does is basically like warlord stuff. And so it's not that the people of Israel all of a sudden are the perfect God fearing, um, Yahweh worshipers that they're supposed to be, it's that he's taking this people and he's slowly transforming them into that. So that's, I think it's just an important thing to keep in mind with a bunch of the stories in the Old Testament that make us really uncomfortable is realizing, yeah, they're not perfect. Like that's kind of the whole, that's the whole point is that God is making them into his people. Uh, But Rachel is angry and she insists that Jacob has children with her servant and these will be counted as her own children instead. And so Dan and Naphtali are born um, after this, Leah is like, whoa, 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 whoa. You need to sleep with my servant too. And so Jacob sleeps with her servant. And then this is how Gad and Asher are born. Uh, and then Leah and Rachel, they just continue fighting. Um, Rachel, I don't know, Rachel eventually trades a night with Jacob for some mandrakes that Reuben picked, which is like just a really sad story where basically Reuben comes in He's picked some, I I looked up what a mandrake was. It's like a root of some sort. Mm -hmm. Um, But Rachel's like, Hey, can I have some of those mandrakes? And Leah's like, is it not enough that you've stolen my husband? Now you're going to take my son's mandrakes, which is like kind of a weird thing to, I don't know. I mean, I guess they're just some mandrakes, but, uh, and so basically Rachel's like, well, hey, you can be with Jacob tonight. And then I'll, I'll take the mandrakes, which kind of just shows the, uh, the absolute abandonment, I guess. Abandonment's the wrong word, but the lack of attention that Jacob pays to, pay, pays to Leah. Uh, so after this, Issachar is born. So this is another son of Leah. Um, Leah, I guess a, a, a legitimate son of Jacob and Leah is, is the way to put that. Um, and then after Issachar is born, you have Zebulun following after that. And then there's a daughter named Dinah who is born. So That's nice. Uh, Finally, after all of this, God opens up Rachel's womb and she has a son named Joseph. And so Joseph is... I was supposed to say he's the most famous son of Jacob. I mean, it's probably him and Judah, right? But you know more about Joseph's life. You only know know Judah. Yeah. Yeah. You only know Judah because of the tribe of Judah. Uh, I shouldn't say you, listener. You, listener who's listening to this, might know Judah super well and be looking and scoffing at the fact that I would say that. But most people. (laughs) (laughs) Unbelievable. Evan thinks I'm so dumb. Uh, After this, Jacob seeks to leave Laban. And he asks for the spotted in black goats and lambs as payment. Uh, Laban agrees, but Laban and Jacob really take after, or I guess Jacob really takes after a good old uncle Laban. Cause Laban's like, oh yeah, you can take all the spotted in black sheep. That's great. And then he runs and then he gives them to his sons. <laughs> he like, goes through his flocks and he gives them all away. way. Uh, and so Jacob is like super annoyed about this. He it's, got deceived again. Yeah, hmm, he got, he got Jacobed. Uh, and so he tries this like some weird, I don't even know how to describe it. It's some weird trickery with some sticks. <laughs> To try and manipulate the breeding yeah. process. So, I
1: did like the hyssop and yeah.
0: It's wacky. Uh, and basically like as I was as I was studying through, it was based, uh, the ESV study, the notes in the ESV study Bible are like, this should not be understood to be that it actually changed it. It's just kind of something that Jacob is like a superstition, it seems like is what Jacob's doing here. Uh, but God blesses Jacob. I was say it works. Yeah, it works. Yeah. <laughs> God, so God blesses Jacob. I think that's kind of the point is it's not that the stick thing is like Jacob manipulating everything. It's that God takes... Pity on Jacob for being wronged here, and so a bunch of the of the uh, goats and the sheep come out black and spotted. Yeah, the healthier
1: uh, healthier goats and sheep come out.
0: Yeah, black and Yeah, that's true. Uh, and so Jacob takes those for his inheritance. It's it's a whole it's a whole thing. Uh, Jacob then sneaks away, but he is confronted by Laban. Um, and so one of the apparently someone stole some gods from Laban's tent, which I is wonder who that was. Yeah, which is probably idols. Um, and then. It was Rachel. Spoiler Gosh. alert! Jacob doesn't know about Rachel. it, and he's like, "Hey, listen, you search all the tents, and if you can find the idols, whoever you find them were, with, I will put to death." Um, not great, Jacob, but Rachel uh, hides them, so Laban actually never ends up finding the idols. So that's Whew. good. Otherwise, that would have been real awkward. Yeah. Um, and you know, I like to think that. Jacob or maybe Rachel telling the story at some point is, or I guess Joseph was there. Joseph was there for this. And so later on when he, uh, when Benjamin comes over and he's like, whoever I find this cup with uh, a whole thing, maybe Joseph's trying to recreate this moment here. So who knows? Uh, And then, but eventually though Laban and Jacob make up um, with, uh, Jacob promising to take care of Laban's daughters, which is kind of a nice moment. Laban's like, hey, listen, I know you got those servants, but you're not going to marry any other women, right? Good job, it's Jacob. Just, it's just my daughters. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Good job, Dick. Jacob. Way to cut it off at two wives and two concubines. <laughs> way, to, way to really set the example for all of us men who follow. So... Oh, man. I guess he was not Solomon, so that's better. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so. exactly. Oh, man. Wait a minute. Uh, as Jacob approaches his home, he is rightfully fearful of Esau. I mean, I would be too. The last time they saw each other, he was like, yeah, I'm going to kill that guy. Uh, and the last time they saw each other, Jacob stole his birthright. <laughs> yeah, So absolutely. again, you know, let's not pretend that Jacob is some sort of innocent victim in all of this. Uh, he camps by himself and he prays for safety. And then this goes down. So this is another really famous story of Jacob's life. This is in Genesis chapter 32. And it says, starting in verse 22, The same night he arose and he took his two wives, his two female servants and his 11 children. And he crossed the ford of the Jabbok and he took them and set them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. Saying, "For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered." The sun rose upon him as he passed uh, as he passed the penule, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Uh, so, really, it's kind of like a, it's almost like a blink and you'll miss it moment, but. Essentially, Jacob wrestles with God in this moment. Like some it's a Christophany of some sort um, is what's happening here. And then I think there's a couple different layers to this story that, I've, that have always really fascinated me because A, there's no introduction to this. It's not like, and then a man appeared and yeah. they got into an altercation and then they started wrestling. It's literally just, and then Jacob started wrestling with some dude is is what happens there. Um, and he says, let me go for the day is broken. And Jacob says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. In my head, this is totally... I shouldn't say extra biblical, but this is totally just my conjecture on, um, on what's happening here. I think Jacob wants to earn something. And I think he's, he doesn't wanna trick this guy into hmm. giving him anything. I think he wants to physically best him and earn something possibly for the first time in his life without tricking someone out of it. You know what I mean? Because if you think about his birthright, was completely gotten by trickery. His blessing was completely gotten by trickery. His wives were completely gotten by trickery. The other way around, it's Laban tricking yeah. him, but that's how, like everything in his life has been a big deception and he wants to earn it. And then, and I think that's why the, the next moment is so powerful because when the angel asks him uh, or when the, the, uh, God asks him, what is your name? He says, trickster. Right. He says, Jacob, when he's trying to earn something, he has to say that his name is deceiver. And then that is the moment where God changes his name to Israel. So again, that's kind of, yeah, that's all, that's just my thoughts on it. That don't, don't take that to the bank. Um, we could get to heaven and God's like, yeah, you're completely misreading that. But that's how, that's how, I, that's how that's you are a dummy. Uh, but that's how I read it. I always thought that was kind of interesting, but from, yeah, from that moment. And this is where we get the nation of Israel. That is Jacob's new name. Mm-hmm. So when we call it the name, when you say Israel, that is actually just the name yeah. that Jacob was changing, which is funny because I feel like all of the other name changes in the Bible, we go by the name change, except for Jacob. We still call him Jacob in most contexts. We don't call him Israel, but yeah, I guess it helps. the Which uh, only
1: goes back to reinforce. He's the middle child, the forgotten one.
0: Oh man. Well... Let's keep moving. Uh, so later on... Oh, no, he's not. No, mind. That's Isaac. Isaac. Not, um, I was I was going to let it slide. Nope. Don't but, let it slide. Sorry. Nope. Just kidding. I was testing everybody. Ha ha. Ha ha. Uh, so Jacob goes to meet Esau, who greets him in an unexpected way. So I wanted to read this passage as well. So this is in Genesis 33. It says, and Jacob lifted up his eyes and behold, Esau was coming and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants. And he put the servants with the children in front with Leah with her children and Rachel and Joseph last of all. So showing where his priorities lie there. yep. Uh, he himself went on before them, bowing to the ground seven times until he came near his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him. And they wept. Um, and when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children, he said, who are these with you? And Jacob said, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the servants drew near, they and the children and bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down and last Joseph and Rachel drew near and they bowed down. Esau said, "'What do you mean by all this company that I met?' Jacob answered, "'To find favor in the sight of my Lord.'" But Esau said, "'I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself.'" Jacob said, "'No, please. If I have found favor in your sight, then accept my presence from my hand.'" Uh, Or my present from my hand, for I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have enough. Then he urged him and he took it. Uh, So really cool moment. Mm -hmm. And I think... It, it it kind of echoes to me the reuni- the reuniting of Joseph and his brothers later. Spoilers for that next week. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, but it, it is fun to me to see how many parts of Genesis echo later parts of Genesis and, yeah. and the Old Testament in general. Um, and I also think that this is, this is a per- particularly sad passage to read when you know the history of what happens with Israel, the nation, and Edom, the nation. Uh, yeah. Because in this moment, the brothers, Jacob and Esau... Make up um They're re- reconciled. yeah, the really, I'm mean, honestly, like a great moment. and I think Esau deserves a ton of credit for actually um being gracious enough to have yeah. this moment. And the nations of Israel and Edom should be basically sister nations. Um yep. and we read later in the Old Testament that Edom drifts away, um and by the time, Jerusalem is being besieged, Edom's basically on the sidelines, cheering it on, like, yeah, go, like, let it happen. And if you, if you want to know what God thinks of Edom later on read Obadiah, which is basically <laughs> just a book about how Edom is doomed, but um, really sad. And I guess we don't have to dwell on that because in this moment we see the reconciliation of two brothers mm-hmm. a really powerful story. Uh, after this, we have an, an odd deviation in chapter 34. Um, it's the uh, it's dealing with the uh, the the rape of Jacob's daughter Dinah. So remember, this is Leah's. I don't know if it's her only daughter or if it's just the only daughter who is named because the story happens. But uh, there's a man named Shechem, uh, and he's the one who does this. Afterwards, he wants to marry her. Um, Simeon and Levi are. Of the brothers, they seem to be the most upset, but all the, all of the sons of Jacob are going to be really annoyed. Not annoyed, that's the yeah. wrong word. They're going to be very livid that this oh, happened. Oh, for sure. Um, and so, Simeon and Levi demand that he be circumcised first, which is, to me, really funny, I guess. Well,
1: but and they're the second and third born in the Reuben, order.
0: Simeon and Levi, yeah. So yeah to, and
1: yeah. then Judah, all right? And so, a part of it is like, maybe they're the first ones that interact with Shechem after this, but... Yeah. It's a, it's a whole, it's a whole cluster.
0: Yeah. So Shechem obliges and he and all of like the servants of his house are circumcised, which I mean, I guess kudos there. That's a lot of dedication. Uh, But after this, uh, it says the sons of Jacob, they, they murder Shechem, they murder his father and they plunder the town. So not, not a great moment there. Yeah. and after this, yeah, and, and Jacob, sorry, Jacob. after this, Jacob confronts them and he's, he basically tells them it's a wicked thing that you have yeah. done. So obviously what Shechem did is wicked and evil and sinful, um, but it's also said that what the brothers do in this moment is also wicked, evil, and sinful. Um, After this, Rachel gives birth to the final son of Jacob, Benjamin. And then she, she does, however, die in childbirth and she is buried in Bethlehem after this happens. And so those are the 12 sons of Jacob and those are how they all came to be. Well, we're gonna continue on to our next section here but before we do we would uh, just want to ask you to leave hey leave a leave a five star review if you get a chance oh Aaron Aaron we got so close 99 we got so close
1: oh man as of, as of the recording I know we came at the uh, end of the year last year having re- recorded the first week of this year and just and I think you said in faith we're gonna we're, gonna, we're just gonna celebrate 100 uh, we're at 99 and that's and that's not bad no. I, I'm I'm over the moon about, I'm thrilled about, you know, the just the ratings that come in. Uh, and there there have been two that were left uh, with actually written reviews. One was by your wife. Thanks, uh, Ashley. So I think it's worth shouting her out because uh, she left one for us, finally. Just like my wife finally jumped on the left one as well. So Finally. Uh, but uh, I, I'll, I'll read both of them because I can't. Ashley said these two really know what they're talking about and are so insightful, love this podcast. And she said, Aaron is the better host. So wow. uh, I don't know why she said that. Hurtful. Actually, I put that in, but... Uh, And then Grandpa Steve left another written review for us. He says this, I really like the background for the passages in the Bible you guys bring up to the point that I ordered the Old Testament survey book you mention often. Uh, And so it's fun that it's not just a podcast of of banter and conversation, but it's also resourcing you as well. And so uh, Grandpa Steve, thank you so much for that review. And and just being a part of the community, I think it's been a lot of fun to see um, uh, it continue to grow. And we're sitting at 99 on... uh, Apple Podcasts. And this is probably the last that I'll make it about the numbers. Uh, But Spotify is growing as well. And so it's just fun. Uh, Thanks for being a part of it. Continue to leave those reviews if you haven't left them yet. Uh, Would love for us to continue to see the community grow. So as Evan mentioned, uh, we will continue the story in Genesis, but we are introduced to Joseph in chapter 37. And we get a very short uh, introduction uh, as far as his story is concerned. Uh, the first 17 or so years of his life. Um, And so chapter 37 here, uh, we're introduced to this guy named Joseph. I'm going to jump right in here and read this in verse two through four. It says, these are the family records of Jacob. At 17 years of age, Joseph tended sheep with his brothers. The young man was working with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought a bad report about them to their father. In other words, he is out there tending sheep, uh, and these, this is the concubines of Leah and Rachel, uh, the, the, the servants of Leah and Rachel. So, right. in essence, they're extra wives now. Um, and he, he tells them, hey, they're, they're not doing what they're supposed to be. They're bad people or whatever. So, he, in essence, comes back. Joseph is the righteous one. More probably self righteous in this moment as a 17 year old, but he also holds the standard and the rules. He brings a bad report, uh, and it's and then we and then it shifts into this. We've seen verse three now Israel loved Joseph more than his other sons because Joseph was a son born to him in his old age. And he made a robe of many colors for him. So if you're if you're wondering a robe of many colors, I've heard that somewhere before. This is Joseph, the one who has the 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 robe of many colors. This is a story from many of us that we're familiar with if we grew up in church or watched any sort of Veggie stuff or I don't even know Veggie That if Prince talks of Egypt sequel? That's Prince of Egypt? Yes, the Prince. Of I sequel
0: is the wrong word, uh, but the, uh, uh, <laughs> the
1: the next one, the yeah. next one in the chapter. So, um, the the couple things that are interesting to note here, um, is when, first off. You're told as a parent if you have kids, I know you're gonna have a kid, so you you actually can have a favorite child at this point in your life. Yeah, I've just got so a while. while
0: to go. I can stop. Um,
1: but you're told not to have favorites. This you'll see the story of Joseph and the reason why. And the challenge is, I'm gonna be honest with you: as a parent of three kids, you connect with, well with your kids. Certain kids are easier to connect with than others. It's not a, it's not saying you have favorites. There's just connections. Uh, but Joseph favored, or was favored by Jacob. Or Israel, Joseph was the favorite, and he was the eleventh and 12 sons. And I, and I would venture to say part of the reason why he was the favorite is because he was actually the firstborn of Rachel. Yeah. Uh, who Rachel was the was actually the the woman Israel loved the most. Uh, and so I think that that's part of the, the clarity you'll see here, and part of the tension that exists as well.
0: Well, I think you would think that, Argus not think. You would hope that Jacob would kind of learn his lesson a little bit with all of the pain that was caused by him clearly favoring Rachel yeah, over right. Leah. But he just does the same thing with his sons, where he clearly favors one son over the rest of them. And uh, well, Aaron, how's that turn out? How's that work? It
1: doesn't turn out very well. Okay. Um, so we've already kind of worked through the order of the sons of, of Israel here, but I, I, I do want to say it because there's a point where it, it kind of comes back. Uh, the way that the sons of the birth order go, it's Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, all born to Leah. Then you've got Dan and Naphtali born to Rachel's um, servant Bilhah. Then you've got Gad and Asher, who are born to Zipporah, which is Leah's servant. Then you've got Zebulun. Sorry, you got Issachar and Zebulun, which are born to Leah again. And then finally, you've got Joseph, born to Rachel, and then Benjamin, born to Rachel. And so you'll see uh, the the birth order is significant because Jake or Joseph is is eleventh out of twelve. He really shouldn't have much favor or anything. But when it says that that this was a favor, that he was favored by Joseph. It's, in essence, favored by Joseph, favored by Jacob. I don't know why I'm doing that today. It's
0: hard. I mean, they're both J names, it's um, hard.
1: But J- Joseph is given privileges. He's given, like, he's almost treated as if he's the firstborn. He's getting rights and privileges that Reuben actually has access to being the firstborn. That's true. And so you see this tension exists where uh, Joseph, who is the favor favorite of all of the sons, his brothers don't like that. So he's out in the fields, he comes back, reports of bad report, Israel's not happy about that. Joseph's already the favorite. Joseph gets a coat of many colors, which then establishes favor even more so above and beyond Reuben, let alone the other brothers. Uh, and so it just creates, it's 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 a lose, lose, lose. Let's just be honest. So we we are introduced to the story uh, of Joseph. We're introduced to this guy uh, and we see
0: his the dynamics already at play from the very beginning. One thought that just occurred to me too, I think is kind of interesting is... All of the sons in the line of Abraham who receive favor are, none of them are the firstborn because Ishmael's the firstborn, not Isaac. Yep. And Isaac is the one who's favored. Obviously famously, we just talked about Jacob is the favorite one over Esau. And then now we have Joseph, who's not even the second born son. He's the 11th. Yeah, the born. 11th. That's crazy. Well, and then you've got, I mean, we're
1: going to shift into this as well because there's a, a side note that I'll get to a little bit later uh, that goes in line with that thought too. Ooh. Um, but so you see, there's a bad report. You see the favorite uh, established, um, and then you see within Joseph, there's two different dreams that he has. He's a 17-year-old kid at this point that we know that because scripture is very clear about that. Uh, and we see a couple different dreams that Joseph has. We see one where it's a bunch of sheaves that are being collected. And then all of the sheaves that represent the 11 brothers bow down to him. He's a real genius. And he tells his brothers this, hey, guys, guess what? I had a dream. You all bow down to me as the 11th ch- child in. And- <laughs> In in the line birth line,
0: and the brothers were like, "Wow, that's super cool! I, I can't just, wait for that!" Wow.
1: Uh, and so they're already frustrated. They already know that he has fa- he's the favorite. They already know that he's got privileges that he shouldn't have access to. Even Reuben knows. I'm like, I should be getting the rights. I should get the coat of many colors. I should get the, the favored things that Joseph is getting. And so there's already hostility and tension. This only magnifies it. And and Joseph doesn't stop there. There's another dream that Joseph has oh, where it's this idea of the sun, the moon and 11 stars are bowing down to him. Uh, and his brothers hated him all the more for those dreams and it only magnified and multiplied the hatred that they had for him. Uh, the jealousy, the bitterness, all of those things. And so a first chance they wanted to take him out as soon as they could. And uh, so we see this in chapter 37 uh, verses 18 to 27. It says, they saw him in a distance. Context here, they're out, they're out tending sheep. They're out doing the bidding that they're supposed to do as sons, uh, Joseph is back with his dad. His dad's like, hey, aren't your sons or brothers out there attending the flock? Hey, let me send you to them. Uh, and so he sends them, sends Joseph to him. He's in his coat of many colors because he likes the coat and he wants to celebrate it.
0: I mean, it's, yeah. It's like a, any any Christmas gift you get.
1: Exactly. Or... You want to wear it and, and walk around with it because it's status. And in that societal structure, it was status. So he saw him in a distance. And before he had reached them, they plotted to kill him. They said to one another, oh, oh, look, here comes the dream expert, exclamation point. This is the Christian standard Bible. I love it. So now come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of those pits. We can say that a vicious animal ate him. They'll see what becomes of his dream. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. Oh! So they were still a little bitter about the dreams. When Reuben heard this, the oldest, he said he tried to save them him from them. He said, let's not take his life, which that's admirable from Reuben. He's the firstborn. He's the one that's probably getting the most undercut. And he says, hey, we shouldn't kill him. Uh Reuben also said to him, don't shed blood, throw him into the pit in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him, intending to rescue him from, from them and return him to his father. Reuben still had some mobility. He still understood some of the rights and responsibilities as a leader in the family. Uh, and so he's actually, even though he's the one that's getting bypassed, uh, it still shows some of the integrity that Reuben carries.
0: Well, I never thought of that until you just said it there. But yeah, he he is the brother who is the most wronged by Joseph yep. And yet he's the one who shows the most restraint. So that is, that is really interesting. Yeah, And
1: because he's the oldest, he also has the most influence and authority over his brothers. Right. Right. So he, as the firstborn, he is given the rights and responsibilities as the one that has supreme authority. So he's next in line as his dad passes away to be the patriarch of the family, to continue on the patriarchy. So Reuben has the leadership and the authority within his brothers, even though he's being wronged. He's just as frustrated, but his brothers are more bitter and more ang- angry at what he wants to do. So verse 23, when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped off Joseph's robe, the robe of, of many colors that he, that he had on. They Then they took him and threw him into the pit. The pit was empty without water, which is good because typically the rain would happen at, or wells, it would be like a well and they draw water from, him, but this one was one that was dried up. So they threw him in, a, in a, a dried up empty pit and they sat down to eat a meal. When they looked up, there was a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were carrying aromatic gum, balsam and resin going down to Egypt Judah, this is the fourth born, said to his brothers, what do we gain if we kill our brother and cover cover up his blood? Come on, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay a hand on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers agreed.
0: I, I just love that line of like, hey, let's just sell him to slavery. After all, he is our brother. Yeah,
1: he's our blood. Oh, okay. uh, But it's it, so it's interesting. So you see Reuben has this secret plot to come save his brother later. It almost makes you like he's trying to evoke favor from his father. This is me. This is my conjecture, right? As the firstborn, he is on board with somehow demoralizing Joseph, not killing him, but demoralizing him, and being the savior of Joseph, who's Israel's favorite son. He knows that, so maybe he's trying to garner some favor and maybe some blessing from from Israel himself. And then they're they're sitting down to have a meal, and there's some Ishmaelites, some slave traders, some traders coming down to going to Egypt, and Judah, who's the fourth born. This is the line, mind you, that Jesus is supposed to come from, that David comes from. Says, hey, what do we gain this if we kill him and cover up with his blood? Let's just sell him. So it continues on. They end up selling him to slavery. He, he goes down, he goes down to Egypt. The slave trader Ishmaelites go down to Egypt. Potiphar, who's a, a ruler within the the, the Egypt uh, within Egypt itself, uh, buys him. He becomes a slave. We'll get to that in in just a little bit. So that's where chapter 37 ends. We're introduced to to Joseph where we see the hostility that exists between Joseph and his brothers. And it ends in the culmination of him being sold into slavery rather than killed. Then we shift into 38, which I I say it this way. It takes a very sharp sidestep and looks a little bit more fully at Judah, uh, and his wicked sons. Um, and his daughter-in-law he's the you see pregnancy uh, illegitimate pregnancy, I guess I can say then you see repentance um, and it interrupts and this is something I, I, I kind of took from the the ESV study Bible that I was reading through because my CSV study Bible is not here yet. Ooh. It's actually coming today the day of the recording
0: Was that a, really quick? was that a gift or was that a, oh for, no I for bought you? it because
1: I wanted it uh, as I'm reading through the plan I'm like I want I don't want, I want a different anyways. Uh, it interrupts the jo- story of Joseph's time in Egypt, um, but it fulfills a continuation of the line of Judah's family and concludes with the birth account in which the set of twins, which the firstborn is pushed aside by his younger brother at the time of birth, uh, which later, this is where we find that David comes from the line of Perez, who's the second born when Zerah is the firstborn. Um, and back in the day, I didn't realize this until I was actually reviewing it, and I like I should have known this. Um, but when when there was a set of twins or multiple babies being born they would indicate the firstborn by like a scarlet thread. So mm. Zera, his, and when he's being born, his, arm, his hand comes out first. The, the, uh, the, what is the, the, the term there? Midwife. Midwife, thank you. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> uh, ties a scarlet rope around, thread around his arm. And then it says that it, his, his brother, in essence, pushes him aside, which I thought was such an interesting picture uh, of Perez pushing his way through and coming out first. Um, entirely out first, even though he's the secondborn because the arm of... Zara was out first. Essentially, that that's sense. the
0: way it's count, it counts. I feel like I would count it once you're out. Yeah, you who's f- I mean?
1: whoever's fully out first. Yeah. So anyways, all that to say, uh, it's this crazy back and forth cr- story um, that happens in chapter 38, um, where we're told uh, to to kind of d- dive into the story a little bit more. Ma- Judah, uh, this is where the sharp sidestep comes, marries an unnamed daughter of Shua. Uh, his, his firstborn son is Ur, who's wicked. Uh, was was given a wife where Judah really did did hard work to get Tamar to be Ur's wife. Ur dies. So then Judah tells Onan, his second son, to uh, fulfill his brotherly duty in having sex with his sister-in-law uh, so that way they can continue on Ur's line uh, and would preserve the legacy and the lineage of, of the oldest or the son, the brother.
0: Yeah, I guess to, to be clear, under... The old law. And I guess this is, it's interesting because I always thought of this as covenant law, but I guess this even predates. It, like, yeah, it would the, be pre covenant. But um, it's like ancient, ancient law. Yeah. The idea there was if your brother dies without any sons, you as a brother would marry his wife. As the next in
1: line brother. Yeah.
0: The next in line. And then the sons that you have with that wife, they wouldn't be your sons legally. They would be your brother's sons. That way they carry on his legacy and yep. name.
1: Because every, because the inheritance, right? The property, right. the, 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 the livestock, the, the wealth of the, of the son should continue with its line, with right. his line. And so as a brother it would be my responsibility, whatever, all that to say. So Onan didn't want to conceive with Tamar as he knew the sons wouldn't be his. So he he did a despicable thing, which it says scripturally, like he he let he wasted the semen. He let it go to the ground. God punishes him by death. And so then Onan dies. So that's the second son of Judah. So then Shelah is Judah's third son, but he's too young to marry. So Judah tells Tamar, hey, go stay with your father as a widow until Shelah is, is old enough to get married. And then you can marry him. Tamar does that. Fast forward. Shayla grows up. Judah is out uh, in, with his friend uh, up near where Tamar is. I can't remember the name of it because I'm just trying to give us the quick overview. And then Tamar finds out that that Judah's around. Judah, she goes out there and disguises herself as a prostitute. She takes off the widow's clothes, puts on a prostitute, which is a veil. Um, just to see, she sees that Shayla is old enough to be married she hasn't gotten any word that he's old enough to be married, and it comes to find out, and this is one of the comments that was made is that Judah sent her away in fear that she was the reason why his sons were dying, which is so which is such a typical it's man. not it's not and my kids it's who are not the my problem. fault it's your fault you're cursed um, so when Tamar finds this out, she dresses up like a prostitute sitting outside a uh, of a shrine uh, later we find like an occultic prostitute um and Judah wants to have sex with her. And he has no clue it's her. And she's like, well, what are you going to give me for payment? Well, I'll give you a young goat. Well, give me something to, to, I'll send you a young goat is what he said. Well, give me something as collateral until you send that to me. She takes a signet ring from Judah and a robe off of his, his staff, a cord off of his staff, which is identifying family line and identifying family. And then she, she sleeps with him. She becomes pregnant. She's the mother of Zara and Perez. Uh, she becomes pregnant. And after this, Judah then goes back home, sends his servant to bring up the young goat. Servant looks for this lady, looks for this concubine, looks for this pr- prostitute. Everyone there says, there's been no prostitute here. So he goes back, says, I haven't found her. They said they know it was a prostitute. And Judah says, well, let her keep what she kept because whatever. At the end of the day, I, I, I tried to fulfill my duty. She wasn't available for me to fulfill so she can keep those. A goat would have been more worth more than the signet ring and the cord, FYI. So then, Judah gets gets word that Tamar is unfaithful. She's pregnant. Well, she's supposed to be widowed. She's not supposed to have married or slept with anybody because she's a widow. Whoa! So then Judah says, "Bring her out. We're going to burn her." So she shows up, and she's and before she is burned alive, before she's burned at the stake, whatever that looks like, she said, "Hey, this is this is who I slept with. This ring and this cord they represent and the symbol of who I slept with." And we get this in chapter thirty-eight. Verses 25 and 26. And this is kind of the end of the chapter here, almost. Uh, it says, and she was being brought, as she was being brought out, she sent her father-in-law this message. I am pregnant by the man to whom these belong to. And she added, examine them, whose signet ring, cord, and staff are these. Judah recognized them and said, she is more in the right than I am, since I did not give her to my, my son, Shayla. And he did not know her intimately again, which, which is a good thing. Good for you, Judah. Um, But there's this moment where... His wrath is subsided because he's been revealed what's true. He got swindled. He got deceived. He got Jacobed, if you will. Uh, and Tamar continues on to give birth to these boys. And we then find out later on that this is per- Perez is the, is the continued line of Judah, which then leads to also the line of David uh, because of that dynamic and that awkward, crazy
0: Sharp sidestep in chapter thirty nine. I need to look thirty eight. I need to actually do some studying and look into how many of the people in Christ's <laughs> line are second sons or or not firstborns. Because I was thinking about like because it's it's in a row. It's yeah. Isaac, Jacob, Judah, Perez. I don't know anyone after that. But then I was also thinking. I realized David is not a firstborn. Nope. Solomon is not a firstborn. Nope. Uh, so there's actually like there's quite a bit of yeah. that going on. It's this this is why this is why I love.
1: Coming out of, like, just to be honest, coming out of Christmas and being reminded of the birth of Christ, and even Matthew, where it works through the genealogies, to have to stop and kind of revisit some of these things year over year is really significant and important uh, because we begin to realize there's so much dysfunction in the lineage of Christ's life, or not in the lineage of Christ's birth line. But at the end of the day, God still prevails and God still works it all out. Like, I think that's one of the significant things. Uh, So that's like a sharp sidestep in the life of Joseph in Egypt. And then chapter 39 refocuses on Joseph. Uh, He's a servant in Potiphar's house. He gains a lot of favor. Uh, And we see this in chapter 39, the first six verses. It says, now Joseph had been taken to Egypt, an Egyptian named Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, and the captain of the guards bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him there. The Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man serving in the household of his Egyptian master. When his master saw the Lord, the Lord was with him and that Lord made everything he did successful. Joseph found favor with his master and became his personal attendant. Potiphar also put him in charge of his household and placed all that he owned under his authority from the time that he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned. The Lord blessed the Egyptians house because of Joseph. The Lord's blessing was on all that he owned in his house and in his fields he left all that he owned under Joseph's authority. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate." Now, that, talk about a cush job. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. I love that verse six ends with that, that line because it foreshadows and, uh, something that changes in the story of and, chapter 39 of Joseph's and would,
0: life. would we all be described that way?
1: Well, that, I mean, that's the same as me, so. <laughs> that's what I plan on having uh, on my tombstone. It was,
0: was well-built and handsome.
1: Yeah, let's do that. That'd be great. Um, so we are introduced to the next chapter of Joseph's life where he's sold into slavery. He becomes a slave, but he has so much favor from God because of his righteousness, because of his, his faithfulness to God's ways, uh, that he has, he's second in command at all of Potiphar's house. And then because he was well built and handsome, Potiphar's wife wanted him yet. He resisted and rejected multiple times. And then finally she got frustrated after being rejected so much, got bitter and lied to her husband about what. Joseph apparently tried to do. Oh come on! Uh, A very familiar story for many of us if we've grown up in church. uh, Potiphar's wife accuses him of trying to rape her. Um, Potiphar is fuming. Which if anybody, if my wife accused me, I would be just as fumed. I might even kill the guy. Potiphar was one step better than me. um, Where Potiphar had him thrown in prison, Um, and it wasn't the most exhilarating place to be. But he was thrown in prison, and we see this in chapter. 39, still in verse 19 says, when his master heard the story of his wife, these are the things your slave did to me. He was furious, had him thrown in prison where the king's prisoners were confined. So it wasn't even the, like the, the just a general prison, but like the king's prisoners, like the, he being the captain of the guard had access to like a darker dungeon or whatever um, through Joseph in the, or Joseph was in prison. And then verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him. He granted him favor with the prison warden. The warden put all the prisoners who were in the prison under Joseph's authority. So he's in prison, but he's still given favor and he was responsible for everything that was done there in prison. The warden did not bother with anything under Joseph because the Lord was with him and the Lord made everything he did successful. That's a pretty significant statement right there. Uh, But we see This this significant encounter, I think, where Joseph – and this is where the story ends for us this week as we read Joseph. There's so much more to the story of Joseph that we'll get to next week. But uh, you see Joseph having been thrown in prison, having been sold into slavery, but because of his righteousness, because of his faithfulness to God – there was so much favor given to him, even in his righteousness. It was pretty significant, too. And that's where, that's where Joseph's story ends this week, as he ends up in prison, uh, even though everything he did was successful. And we'll get introduced to uh, a couple situations next next week that uh, continue his favor, but that's where we'll leave it. He's Ooh, in prison right
0: now. A little bit of a cliffhanger, I guess. So there we go. All right, well, before we wrap up today, or I guess before we get to our applications today, I do want to do a little bit of a little segment we would like to call Genealogy Jargon. Yay. Yeah, that's good Everyone, Everyone's favorite.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, just I want, live for this part of the podcast.
0: I just want to talk through a couple of the genealogies that we see here, because let's be honest, a lot of times we like to skip these. And so there's interesting tidbits to pull out of them. Yep. Uh, we're also going to try and do the same thing when we get to the parts of the law that are talking about how many square feet the, the tents are and stuff like that. That so, won't be genealogy, but that'll be... I don't know, measurement meadows. <laughs> Who who knows? We'll figure that out. Anyways, genealogy jargon. So we go through a couple. Uh, Genesis 25 gives us the genealogy of Ishmael. So he fittingly also has 12 sons, which I thought was kind of interesting. And then these men become the leaders of the many tribes of Arabia. Uh, The Ishmaelites who Joseph is sold to, they are descendants of Ishmael there, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, which is kind of interesting because you think of... Their great grandfathers, I guess, were brothers, and so already at this point, though they're far enough apart that that's kind of like that they're their own separate nation. So interesting there. Chapter 36 gives us the descendants of Esau, uh, which is also the nation of Edom. Uh, So we're told that Esau moves his family to the hill country of the East, since Canaan cannot support both of the brothers and their massive family. So it's not like a bad thing. He just happens to pick up and move. Um, That hill country of the East is, they inhabit it with, I I should have written down the other um, nation that's there, but they inhabit it with another nation. And then eventually the Edomites kind of the Esau's descendants take it over and then they name the nation Edom. And that's the, becomes the sister nation of Israel, or at least what should have been the sister nation of Israel. Uh, The main standout for me, this is just a total side note, but there's a man named Eliphaz who is a son of Esau. uh, And he may or may not be a character in Job. So Uh Eliphaz is one of Job's friends Uh, of the first three friends. He's the one who sucks the least. And so (laughs) that could be, um, that could be, and I kind of think it is that son of Esau, which would make Job a contemporary of Joseph, yeah, and and, the, and actually the part of Genesis that we're reading right now. Theoretically, the stuff with Job is happening right around this. The point same as time, well. yeah. So kind of interesting. Uh, I think that I should clarify that's very open handed. Who knows? Totally, totally, but it's possible. Uh, and then finally, this week's readings in Chronicles, we're going to get into chapter two. Of Chronicles, woo! Uh, But it's just going to give us condensed versions of these genealogies. Uh, We're given some extra info on the sons of Jacob, including the eldest son of Judah. Aaron talked about this a little bit. Ur, uh, who Yahweh just straight up kills. So he's like, there's some context there. And he was, and he was wicked, just wicked. Yeah, and was owning, was an idiot. Just all of them, just the worst. All righty. Well, let's get into our applications today. What did what did we learn, Aaron? What, how about you start off?
1: I, I def, uh, yeah, I, I almost jumped into it, but I forgot there was a genealogy jargon because it's a new podcast, new year, new podcast. New, um, some new seggies. So, but I almost feel like this one's overly simplistic and easy. Um, but one of the things that I oftentimes am reminded of is is you know New Testament scripture, Romans eight twenty eight, and I, I have the whole the whole section here because I wanted to make sure I was reading the context properly. But eight twenty eight just says this: we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. And you literally look at the life of Joseph as we've seen it unfold so far, there was not much, not very many favorable circumstances that Joseph engaged early on in his life. He saw favor in the midst of his circumstances. He saw elevation and status and and provision and protection, those things. Um, But when Joseph had the dream at 17 years old, he had no idea how it would unfold. And he still doesn't know how it's going to unfold. Like, mind you, we, we, we oftentimes can read the whole story and see how it's going to play out. Like I can see coming into next week, I know what's coming. And I know like there's moments of like, here's the fulfillment of those dreams. But the challenge is, and I think the, the interesting thing is, is it's not always, it's hard to remember that in the midst of this journey, the Joseph, I mean, years and years and years go by for Joseph. He wasn't 18 years old when everything came to fruition. He wasn't 19. Right. He 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 went he went years without any kind of answer to the dreams he had at 17. And I think it's important to remember like God is still faithful working in the midst of a process and a journey that we don't always understand. Or that we don't always see unfolding. And and I think it's it, it's important to remember that even though plans don't always play out how we think they should. It doesn't mean that they're not following God's intended desire and will for our lives. And I think the qualifier of 28, and I said this a lot in, in, even when I pray, even when I preach or whatever, and I use this verse, I always hit the qualifier. It's God, we know all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. There's this tension of, well, it's going to work out because God's going to work out all good. No, 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 no. God's promise of, of working out for the good are for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. The good didn't work out for individuals who didn't love God. The good works out for those who do love God and are called according to his purpose. So God's will is going to prevail. And so I feel like, like I said, it's overly simplistic based upon Joseph's life to trust the process, to trust the journey. Um, but even look at Paris, like that wasn't, that shouldn't have, I mean, you already alluded to it in the sense of like, that, that shouldn't play out that way. Paris was a second born he didn't have the the birthright but he is the one that continues judah's line to the messiah which isn't how it should have played out but god ultimately is orchestrating his will and unfolding his will in the world and we're just we're just part of the story um so as i think about the the very practical application side of it no matter what we're facing no matter what we're navigating no matter what's going on in our circumstances now we have to remember especially listening and reading the story of joseph that he's trustworthy, meaning God is trustworthy. That God is faithful, and that God will 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 do what He sets out to do for His will and His glory, and and we can trust in His goodness in the midst of everything we face. And so that like, that to me is like almost easy, overly simplistic, cliche, uh, pastoral advice, but it's so true and it's such a great reminder as we're we're reading through this
0: portion of Genesis. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, I think I always just. The, the relationship of Jacob and Leah and Rachel always kind of jumps out at me when I read about it. And I just, I, I, don't know, I, I find myself being so profoundly sad for Leah all the time when I'm reading it. And maybe I don't know, like, like the, she was also complicit in the deception that got her married to Jacob first. So it's not like she's completely like an innocent victim. Well, but in back in that this. day, remember,
1: she didn't really have any say.
0: That's probably true.
1: She was like property. And, for, like, and to, to be cross about it, that, that's how women were viewed. Mm-hmm. So she didn't really have any say or authority in anything, right? She she was she did what she was told because she was supposed to do what she was told.
0: Yeah. So that, that, that's a fair point as well. Um, and I, I think it's just the the story is just a reminder of the importance of. I think in general, looking at how we treat people yeah, for sure. and seeing good. seeing the uh, the way that Jacob's treatment of Leah leads to so much heartache and all of that, um, but also I think just the way that we treat our spouses in general. And so obviously, like you know, with me, I'm not struggling between which wife do I favor the mo- the most. Um, That's good. Ashley's my favorite wife. Everyone knows that. But uh, actually, I actually say that pretty often. But um, no, I was I remember it, it struck me with uh you know how like there's random things that people say as an aside that just kind of become core memories for you? And so one of those things for me was this is years ago and it was the the basement of the church flooded. And so we were staying here super late. This is – Aaron is a part of this story. We're in this story. Oh, yeah. Um, And so we're trying to like clean up and pull up the carpet because it's all getting really smelly and gross. When we
1: say flooded, it wasn't like inches and inches or feet of water. It was – maybe an inch of in the the wet east side of the the building that right. crept up to the west side of yeah, it. Yeah,
0: we weren't swimming, yeah. but it was all it was water. It was we had wet. we had
1: to vacuum it out. We had to yeah, it was a it was a whole it was a whole mess.
0: It was awesome. Uh, so anyway, so we're staying late and I was working alongside this guy and I'd never met him before, so we're just kind of talking and know him and I was like, "Oh yeah, how long have you like you how how long have you been married?" And he like went through it all and then he said, um, yeah, my wife is one of the greatest gifts in my life. And it took me way too long to realize that that's true. And it's funny because like, I'm sure if I brought that up, he would have no memory of saying this, but it just completely latched on in my mind as like, that's a really good piece of advice from yep. an older, from an older man um, and kind of how to view marriage. And and for me, like, I, I struggle with that today where like, you know, like obviously this is marriage in general, like you're with someone, obviously you're fighting um, and like you're, there's conflict there and stuff like that. And like, it, oftentimes I take a step back and I remember back to that moment and I yeah. try and like remember like, no, like my wife is one of the greatest gifts that God has given me and I, I don't want it to take years and years to realize that. So I think with me, that's also the other thing that comes to my mind with Leah and Rachel. And I think Jacob realizes that at the end. Yeah. Um, I think when we see the way that he treats Leah later in life, um, he does honor her yep. the way that she deserves to be honored. So there is kind of a happy ending there as well. But I don't know, that that always, that story always breaks my heart for Leah um, and then also just kind of like, yeah, just makes me think like, how do I treat people? Yeah, it's true. It's really good. Alrighty. Well, that wraps it up for this week's episode of Let's Read the Bible. Um, As a reminder, we are a podcast of The Grove Church, but we're not the only resource of The Grove Church. You can find all of our resources on our website, grove.church, under the media tab. Uh, And if this podcast has been a blessing to you and you would like to financially contribute to the ministry that The Grove Church does, you can also do that on our website. There's a give button in the upper right-hand corner. But hey, thank you all so much for listening. Have a great week.